This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Don't forget that you can find the scholarships guide at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Click on scholarships and also career coaching. Just click on coaching plus a whole modicum of other courses. So just click on the courses there. And we also start a new program, Pay It Forward. If you want to help support somebody in getting a scholarship, you can actually buy them a scholarships guide using the Pay It Forward tab. So go to Pay It Forward. And if you're interested, we still have some coupons left uh, from other people that have paid it forward. Uh, some wonderful folks have donated some scholarships guide. And for every $50 uh, that we get, we'll donate uh, one extra. So every five scholarships guides that are purchased, we will actually put another one in there into the pot for free and to pay it forward. Also, another announcement real quick. The live broadcast premiere of Sun and Fun Radio is coming up on July 13th at 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's going to be our first time we're doing this. They'll be live. We'll be live. Actually, I'm going to be there. I didn't think I was going to be, but uh, I'm starting a trip later that night. So I'm going to be there from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Listen to us live, liveatc.net slash SNF. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. We'll maybe do a little bit of Facebook Live, but this is primarily a live event on liveatc.net slash SNF. We're going to have a lot of folks there. Aerospace Center for Excellence, for those that are interested in careers, we're going to have lots of different people there that talk about careers and also uh, younger folks in aviation and also other folks in it, just all sorts of different really goodness. And, of course, some cool stuff uh, with flying. Remember that Sun and Fun is a, is a year-round organization that they do events for both very young people and older people throughout the year. They have the high school, and of course, at the college they have level, they partner with a lot of different schools, one of them being Polk State College that I'm very much involved with. Well, today I'm going to answer some of your emails. It's going to be a short session here. I uh, was doing a lot of flying and didn't get much sleep. Bad weather in the Northeast, but was really cool. Just like I said, sometimes I pick up trips, which I did on this one. Got to go uh, to Newark. That's actually where I'm from is that area. And hang out. Uh, my brother had dinner, and uh, that was pretty darn cool. Coming up, though, I'm going back to Minneapolis, and hopefully this time I'll let people know that I'm in the area. Uh, I kind of am re- hesitant to do that sometimes because, you know, with the weather being the way it has been this lately, I'm getting reassigned a lot. So uh, before I move on, though, and talk questions, answer, I probably should des- <laughs> describe what reassignment is. When you show up for your trip, maybe you have, a say, a four-day trip, and you're going to go to Minneapolis one day, maybe Buffalo the next, maybe down to the Bahamas on one night or down to you know Peru or something. Every so often, uh, the schedules get a little messed up because of weather. Uh, it's kind of like a snowball effect. You know, you're supposed to, say, fly from, I don't know, Fort Lauderdale to New York and from New York out to Minneapolis. Well, your Fort Lauderdale to New York flight it gets delayed. What if it gets canceled? Now what happens? Well, what happens to that crew, and this is kind of interesting, what happens when uh, when we do get canceled? Then it goes into the crew tracking and crew scheduling uh, and all the other folks in the computers and all. They try to figure out what to do with you because now there's other flights that they need to shuffle around and there's possibly crews that need to go on those flights. 
So, so what happens is this. They reassign you a lot of times. Sometimes they don't assign you anything at all. You wind up overnighting in that city that you're in at that moment. But they, they normally don't hang on to you. Most uh, contracts with the pilots, you have to be reassigned in a certain amount of time. And it all depends a lot of times on, on how bad the weather is and how many cancellations there are, those type of things. But every airline does it a little bit differently. But you get to an airport, and now they say, okay, instead of going to Minneapolis, we're going to have to send you to San Juan, or we're going to have to send you to Kansas City. And so you'll pick up another flight, go out to Kansas City. So this is important for one very good reason. Always have to have all this, everything you need with you to fly internationally and domestically. You know, with the airlines, they tell us we have to have our passport well, you have to have your passport because of this. You may wind up, and it happened to me the other day. I was on my way to, uh, I think it was Buffalo, or and then I wound up in the Dominican Republic. And that was because I got reassigned twice in one day and said, hey, listen, we're going to need you to go do this flight to the Dominican Republic because we're going to have to cancel the flight if you don't do it. So you have to have your passport to do those type of things. The other thing, too, that is interesting about this is when these things happen, sometimes your pay goes up because they give you incentive pay. Say you go beyond the hours you're supposed to work. Sometimes they give you time and a half, double time, that type of thing. Another interesting thing that happens uh, during these irregular operations that they have at the airlines and because of weather, et cetera, is they start calling people in. And the way they do that, normally it's on the computer. They'll put information out there about a trip, like say all of a sudden they need someone to fly a plane down to, say, the Bahamas. And they put it on the computer. Hopefully someone's going to pick it up off the computer. It's all computerized. It's really cool how they trade. So that person picks it up and goes to the Bahamas, but this is how they incentivize them. They say, hey, maybe we'll, we'll give you a time and a half, or we'll give you a double time to do that. And you can also put yourself on reserve for that day if you know the weather is bad. So this is a little trick to make extra money. No matter what airline I've, I've worked for, one, two, three, four different airlines, and it all pretty much works similarly in that if you know, if uh, the scheduling knows, and if you know you want to make some extra money, when the weather gets bad, you make yourself available, and you will be able to make double time quite often. As a matter of fact, I've and this I think I've only done once or twice. I've been able to actually do triple time, and that works into uh, where they pulled you off a trip, say because they need a check airman to do a flight that you're supposed to do, and then there's something that pops up for double time, and now you're triple dipping. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, but anyway, what happens when you get you reassigned or you're rerouted, and many different terms are are involved. Your original four-day trip, most airlines that uh, I've worked for and most airlines out there, they'll try to get you back onto that original trip, back to where you were. And what that does is it enables you to have some quality of life because, you know, you you actually wanted that trip probably. Um, you're still going to get paid for that flying. That's another interesting thing. Uh, and even if you don't fly, I'll give you a good example. This is really interesting what happened to me. Uh, I was during Hurricane Irma, and uh, they sent me on a trip and sent me down to the islands. And I said, you know, you really want to do this because I think I'm going to get stuck. Luckily, I looked at, at what was going to happen, and I packed. Remember I said it's important to have all the things that you need for your trip, whether uh, you pack for the, up north for the snow and also for the Caribbean. I packed for all sorts of different things. And also I packed for a couple extra days. 
And what happened is, instead of a three-day trip, I was supposed to come back and be here with my family during the storm, I wound up getting stuck, and I got stuck for three extra days. Well, at, uh, at airlines, usually, if they actually extend you past the end, you get extra pay, like time and a half or double time. For me, this one happened to be double time. So I got three days of pay at double time sitting on the beach while my family's back home having to deal with this storm. It's actually kind of, it was a pretty good scenario for me. Of course, I caught <laughs> caught a lot of grief, I guess, from my family saying, hey, you're sitting there on the beach enjoying yourself and we're having to deal with this hurricane. Actually, the, the eye of the hurricane actually went right over our house um, and a lot of people around here. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't horrible because I live inland, but still, those are the kind of things that happen is that you get stuck sometimes places. So always, always pack uh, accordingly. If there's some place in your system that's cold, you might want to bring an extra jacket with you. I bring a, bring a big puffy jacket just in case, even though I try to go to all those Caribbean destinations, etc. So that's what happens when you get reassigned. A lot of times they try to get you back onto your original trip. You still get paid for your original trip. Say you wind up only flying five hours and your original trip was for 15 still get usually paid for the 15 hours. All depends on the, the contract there. So a lot of times, you know, you're sitting at the airport and you see a crew, they time out, uh, and then another crew shows up. That's what's happening. Either somebody volunteered to do that flight or those people were on reserve or maybe those people put themselves on reserve to make some extra money. Well, how do they get people to come on reserve? They got to incentivize you. So they'll actually give you some extra pay for that. Hopefully that kind of ex- explains uh, what happens when I get reassigned. It's really... It can be a big money maker for you. It also can be very stressful uh, because a lot of people are like, gosh, you know, I really want to get home. Uh, now I'm getting reassigned. Uh, I really was bummed out uh, the other day. I wanted to go to, I was going to like Aruba and uh, I wound up in New York instead. And that's kind of, you know, sometimes it happens. It's just the way it is. Um, but you, you, you know, hope for the best and plan for the worst kind of thing. But uh, do not forget to bring <laughs> along some warm weather gear because it really stings being caught up in, in a northern city when you thought you were going to Aruba and you only have shorts and a T-shirt. Anyway, hopefully that puts a little color on that situation. If you have any other questions about that, just uh, feel free to email me, feedback at aviationcursepodcast.com. Anyway, let's go on to some of the questions. Our first question says, Hi, gang. I just found the show, and I'm getting back into aviation after about 20 years away. In that time, I've moved from the U.S. to Israel, where things are a bit different. One thing I want to be able to do is grab a Cessna and fly from Israel to Cyprus and on to Europe. So I had a few ideas for episodes you might want to take up. Number one, returning to flight. Number two, flying over water. And number three, flying GA in Europe. Well, GA in Europe, that's actually one I'm going to hand over to the Stuck Mike Avcast. That's our other general aviation podcast. And uh, we have some people that are over there and some great podcasts, by the way, that are in Europe about flying around Europe. So we'll talk a little bit about that on that show. So not something I would do here other than the fact if you're somebody who's career-oriented and wants to build time, uh, yeah, there are avenues you can go. There's uh, AOPA International, and there's lots of different pilot organizations uh, where you are. So if that's something you're looking to do, I really highly recommend you reaching out to some of those organizations and getting involved. But flying over water, this is something that uh, is is something that's a, it's a philosophy about flying over water, especially with single engine aircraft. I know there's people that doesn't bother at all, but you have to plan again for the worst when you're flying over water, uh, especially long distances. I, you know, I fly over water all the time. Uh, I fly, flew off an island for many years, and, uh, you know, right off the end of the runway, 
That's the only place you're going is in the water. So as far as flying over the water, there's a lot of different uh, things out there as far as safety programs. FASafety.gov, by the way, has some really cool things about overwater flying. But my suggestion is this. When you're flying over water, keep yourself safe by, number one, having a flotation device. Uh, one thing we've learned about the military trains, us, but we've learned is that uh, you really just get out of the aircraft with what you have on. So if you are like a, myself flying over water all the time, you might want to grab a flotation device or one of those inflatable vests uh, where you can put that on. Because uh, if you're not a good swimmer, or it doesn't matter, even if you're a good swimmer, you might get tired. It's good to have that flotation device on. There's some rules, obviously, for uh, flying further away from land where you actually have to have a raft for each person on board. I'm not talking just about that, but that's not a bad idea to have those rafts. Um, interestingly, uh, we were just discussing this with the small airplane that I have, is that we have flotation devices in the aircraft because I fly around the water all the time. You know, if I'm going from here to go see my in-laws, I have to go over Tampa Bay, and I'm going to be, you know, outside sometimes gliding distance of land. For the most part, uh, I try to stay as close to the shore as possible. Um, you know, I've had two engine failures, and I've seen many different people put down in the water. And most of the folks that survived are the ones that, uh, you know, really had a, a plan going forward as to what to do. But it happens really fast. Um, there's there's many different podcasts out there where people describe their situations where they have landed in the water, and they're very, you know, they're really, uh, <laughs> they're eye-opening. Uh, things do happen quite quickly, and uh, when you get to the water, uh, it a lot of times the aircraft flips over. So know how to egress from the aircraft, prepare for when you're on the ground, just like you do uh, when you're normally flying in a single-engine aircraft. Flying over the water in an airliner, that's another whole ball game. and there's different uh, extended overwater operations, uh, flying outside the 50 miles in the U.S. and from 50 to, say, 150 uh, or 50 to 100 and, and then beyond. Uh, there's extended overwater operations. There's another thing called ETOP. Extended twin engine operations, overwater operations, and it's really um, two many different rules that are in effect in effect there. But one thing you really need to do when you are flying over the water is to make sure you keep yourself safe. And what do I mean by that? You know, with an airline, you think, well, gosh, you know, we're always safe. Well, there are situations where things can be meld. Uh, you know, put on a minimum equipment list. A good example is a pack your pressurization unit. Those are the packs. And so those pressurization and air, uh, uh, air conditioning uh, kits, they actually are the ones that will keep you pressurized if you lose one of the other, the other one, right? So what if you're flying out over the water and you lose both of those? Maybe you, say, have one MEL'd already and now the other one's gone. Well, you need to descend. you got to get down to 10,000 feet. And in a big jet, and it burns a lot more gas when you're lower, so depending on the operation you have, you may have to not go over water that day. Another thing to think about is this, too. Say you have an APU, which most jet aircraft do. There's very few that don't. Then if that APU is actually MEL'd, in other words, it's also not working, you want to make sure that you know that's your spare generator. You want to make sure you have a couple generators running. So say you're down to one generator because, uh, say, a generator broke and your APU is broken. Well, probably not a good idea to go over the water. That's keeping yourself safe. As a matter of fact, most uh, MELs do not allow you to do that, to go over the water with just one generator, because if you lose that generator, you're, you're kind of stuck way out there over the water. The other things, too, about flying over water that you have to think about, and especially, you know, in my job, I, I can be an hour away, sometimes two hours away from the closest airport. Well, 
you know, what do you do if there's like a fire? Make sure you have the ability to extinguish, you know, fire. Also be, have the ability to keep yourself breathing, oxygen. Uh, also, you know, there's also different hoods that you can put on. Those kind of things, uh, breathing devices that you might be able to use uh, that generate their own oxygen. Those are the type of things you want to start thinking about when you're uh, flying over the water. Uh, so those are the kind of things that, that I, I think you wanted me to talk about there. But uh, but I would highly recommend the most important thing is get training uh, in flying over water and go with somebody who has a lot of experience because they've thought about these things. Uh, they talk about water survival, et cetera. I mean, we go through so much at the airlines doing water survival. Concerning the other thing you talked about, returning to flight, this is something that's specific to every individual. It's something that, you know, it's very personal because here you're doing something that you loved and you're finally getting back into it. I remember when I left aviation for three years and it was killing me. And the day I got back was so happy. The day I left it was very sad. And when you're returning to flight, one of the things you have to realize, and a lot of folks don't realize, is that there's a lot of training that's involved. There's so many things that change over just a year's time. You know, even at like the airlines, most of the time, if you're gone for 90 days, you have to get some recurrent training. If it's 60 you know, or six months, uh, there's some additional training. If it's two years, you have to go through all the training all over again. And that's a, there's a reason for that because so much changes. You know, I was looking at some of the different changes we've gone through where I work in the past four, six, you know, weeks and even six months. I'm like, wow, it's almost like it's a different airline because there's so many new things coming down the pike. A lot of times we think, you know, it's just flying an airplane, but there are so many different rules, new, uh, there's like new technologies even that are coming out that are wonderful. And new technologies, not necessarily that are new in general, but new to you and new to the airplane that you're flying. And you have to learn those things. Maybe you're getting a different engine type. You're getting something, a new navigational system. Uh, you're using CBDLC where you never use that over the water, that kind of thing. And that's, that's where it really is kind of neat that you are always learning. Like, for instance, I have to do my training. We, we do quarterly training online uh, using, you know, one of those online coursewares and you take quizzes, et cetera. Instead of making us go in all the time, we can do that. We do have to go in for our training, but we also have to do training every three months and take quizzes, usually about three, four quizzes you're taking. And at the end of this training, every three months, if you don't do that training, then you're dequalified. You can't fly anymore. So you're constantly, constantly doing training because of the fact that things do change. I'll give you an example of something that's changed uh, also is the fact that even with winter flying, you know, the ice pellets and when we started realizing how bad ice pellets were for aviators and for airplanes, the rules changed very quickly, but they also changed uh, over time. And over time, they've, they've through studies and it's really improved. So there are minor changes to the technologies of anti-ice and de-ice equipment that allow us to actually have different holdover times that we have to know about applying fluids, things that we've discovered about different types of aircraft and different types of wings that might affect the anti-ice and the de-ice. So those are the kind of things that we learn and we are relearning. Maybe there's something about the system in our aircraft that we find out is, you know, there's an issue. And now we need to be trained on how to survive that aircraft system malfunctioning. 
Um, we see this right now with, uh, I think it's a 737 MAX, is there's uh, training involved there with, uh, with a system that's not working that, uh, you know, just like other airlines and other airplanes. I mean, there's, these things have happened in the past. I mean, I'm not going to get into that whole situation, but in general, every airplane has had some kind of an issue where you ha- find something that there's, there's an issue with that airplane and you have to go out and learn how to properly respond to that problem, whatever that may be. Some are minor, some are major like this one that we're talking about with a 737, uh, but it's really something that's up to you. And I think another thing too is when you're returning to flight, get involved in all these different organizations. Get involved in the online system where uh, fasafety.gov, that's a great one. Start doing those safety courses online. Get yourself back into it. Another thing I highly recommend is jumping on VATSIM, jumping on just simulators in general. Uh, I know the Flight Sim Expo came up. I couldn't make it because my company had me come into work and had to fly. Um, But it's summertime. Things are crazy, you know. But one of the things I really think is good is just getting back into the whole mode of flying. LiveATC.net. I mean, you can listen to us on Son of Fun, LiveATC.net slash SNF. But get back in air traffic control. Listen to what's going on. With some of these simulators, you can actually talk to some of the air traffic controllers. They'll give you clearances. Go out and fly. Remember what you have to do. Uh, you know, Do the run-up in a simulator. These are all inexpensive ways to get back into flying. But then get out with a certified flight instructor and go out and do the kind of flying you're going to do, like you mentioned with the overwater flying. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to get out there and just uh, start flying over water just to learn uh, how to move forward there. And that's uh, that's something that's really important. So anyway, thanks for that question, and uh, hopefully that's uh, helped you there. But the flying GA in Europe, that's more of a kind of a stuck my gavcast kind of thing. So I really will try to talk a little bit more about that on, on the other show. But thanks again for the question. Let's move on to another one here. It says, good morning, Carl and Cass. First of all, I want to say thank you for all you do. Your podcast has helped me understand more and more about the world of aviation. A little background about me. I've been in the military for about 12 years now, and I'm currently in flight school. Unfortunately, I've had a little hiccup here, and it may not work out here, nothing aviation-related. I've had the opportunity to fly already, and I've got the bug, so to say. I've been looking into different ways of attending flight school. If I separate from the military, and I've pretty much gotten every answer I've been looking for by listening to your podcast. In episode 178, you mentioned a few things that raised my curiosity, though. One was using the GIA bill for vocational rehab training, and the other was schools that offer degrees online while you go and fly to get your ratings. Would you be able to clarify those when you get the chance? Do you know of any schools that are GI bill friendly that offer these? I have a family and also have a house, so the use of the GI bill and getting BAH is of utmost importance. Thanks in advance. Well, there is a website, by the way. It's uh, benefits.va.gov slash voc rehab that really describes that fairly well as far as the vocational rehab is concerned. It's one of those things, anytime you're dealing with a VA, things change so quickly. That's why they have people at all these schools that deal with the VA. As far as schools that are very VA friendly, you're going to see a lot of the universities and colleges are. And the reason being is that uh, it's good for them. It's good for business because, you know, there's a lot of folks doing the same thing you're doing. So make sure you go to a school that does understand the GI Bill and understands all the different things you're involved with, like the vocational rehab training. Um, The other thing you mentioned as far as doing the online training, uh, just to give a little more color to that, there are in a lot of the aviation schools, 
you'll go and get your rating at the college or at the flight school, and you'll do some of your uh, online courses, or excuse me, some of your courses online while you're doing the flight training there. Uh, they do um, a good example is like a hybrid course, hybrid meaning that you go to class, but you also do some of those online. In other words, one week you go to class, and next week uh, you do some of the classes online. Some are strict online courses. You still can apply for your BAH because you still have to come in. Uh, for the other portion of the course. So you, uh, it, it all depends, and it depends on the situation. If you're doing it strictly online, uh, it's a little different. You have to make sure you do everything properly uh, and that you're associated with a school and uh, that's actually right there and has a, uh, you know, a physical location many times, but not always. So that's something else you have to do is you have to deal with the VA rep at the school that you're interested in. And when you say this, this is, this is interesting. You mentioned that are friendly and understand the GI Bill. Well, you can pretty much figure that out when you go talk to them. Uh, one really important thing you need to do is do your homework and talk to these folks. Um, because if they come back and have an answer for you immediately, and that answer may not be, um, or, or maybe, you know, hey, I don't know, I'll find out. That's perfect. You know, if you if they don't know, I'm all for them trying to research it and them going to their experts in, in the GI Bill and the Voc Rehab. But I have a link I'll put in the show notes. Remember, benefits.va.gov slash Voc Rehab about the vocational rehab. And the schools, there's many different schools out there that, that offer those those that curriculum where much of it is online. Um, but you have to talk to the school about that. And I'm hoping that helped you out. Uh, if it didn't, you know, just feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I can put you in touch with some of the folks that, are the different schools like I, I know the school I'm associated with with the flight team they do a great job there um, anyway next question uh, thanks again for that question next question says Carl can you explain pay and bonus for a new FO and what is expected to be able to upgrade immediately such as supply and demand minimum hours before upgrade and seniority rules that's a real simple one pay and bonus are very much uh, just out there on the websites it's a union job mostly so they publish the pay it's a certain number per hour say it's $35 per hour or $25 per hour you get a minimum guarantee of flying time it could be 75 it could be 80 hours and that's it it's that simple but let's throw a few things in here also the bonuses a lot of airlines have bonuses and this is where you have to you know look at the fine print this never was true in the past but now it's become the norm where you have the signing bonuses at the airlines and then it describes how long you have to stay or if you upgrade within, say, 24 months, you may not get the full bonus. So every every so often it'll pay out the bonus. It won't give you this upfront cost. They'll also pay for some flight training. So really what I'm trying to say is look at the individual airline and look at the structure of what they're talking about as far as the money. I don't want to say it's funny money because I, I you know, the, so for instance, they straight up say $80,000 is what you're going to get paid. This is what your your compensation will be. They're right. You are being compensated that much. But look at the fine print. You're not making that right away. It's kind of like when they say to a new airline pilot at a major airline, you know, welcome to the Millionaires Club. Well, they're not giving you a million dollars. They're saying when, when you actually have been there for a few years and you saved up enough money, that's what you'll have at the end. Similar with this. I mean, you're say you get a $70,000 total package. 25000 of that may be, say, a signing bonus. Uh, the other parts of that bonus come into play if you stay six months. Say you stay 12 months, that type of thing. So just just uh, I'm not going to you know use any examples because there's so many out there but do uh, read the fine print on their website. The other thing that you talked about is um upgrading immediately. 
so some people are calling them direct entry captains. Um, I know that a lot of unions don't like to use that. Uh, so this is the reason why you can upgrade immediately. So when they hire somebody, they hire pilots because they think they're going to be captains someday. When they have a, a bid that goes out, says what base and what airplane do you want, and say when you get hired, you want to be captain, and you bid for captain, and you're the only person that's eligible for captain in the company, you're going to get that captain slot. And what do I mean by that? Gosh, you know, you have to get your you have to have your ATP unrestricted to be able to upgrade to captain, right? So if you don't have the hours or nobody at the company has the hours, I should say, and you have the hours, you, the applicant has the hours, by within a month, you could be upgrading the captain. That's kind of what they mean by a, you know, a, a street captain, et cetera. As far as seniority rules, you are not foregoing seniority. You never will. They just, everybody else has bid for captain, and it got to you, the person that was hired that month, and you're the only one that has the qualifications to be able to upgrade to captain. So you get it. So that's how that works. So you still will need to comply with all the different seniority rules. And just remember, that'll never go away. So uh, that that's really, really important there to remember. Seniority rules are still always, always, always in effect. Um, so now that happens, you get the, the upgrade because you have 3,000 hours, say, and you upgrade to captain. Then you go to the next bid, and now the person that uh, was you know, there for maybe a year or so finally has the 1500 hours. Now they upgrade to captain. Now the thing that's interesting is that person was hired before you. So what happens is you're now a lower seniority than that captain. That captain comes in above you and above you and above you. What happens when a junior captain, which is what you are, and you do something like this, a junior captain winds up going backwards sometimes because of the fact that there's so many people now finally able to bid captain or finally want to bid captain. Interestingly, also, some airlines are not allowing people to forego upgrade to captain because they really have a shortage of, of qualified folks to fly in the left seat. So that's the other part of this. You may be forced to go in the left seat. When you get to the majors, that's not usually an issue. Uh, there's you know a lot of qualified people out there, and there's a lot of people who can decide whether they want to upgrade or not. Uh, so it's all based on lifestyle there, but sometimes at the regionals, it's not so. And uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people like to f put off uh, upgrading like myself until I can hold a good line and have a good schedule. And uh, lifestyle is more important. But um, sometimes you don't have that choice, especially at a regional. But seniority is seniority, no matter what. I mean, if you bid captain, you get it right away, and then all of a sudden, a year later, all these other people are eligible all those folks will be in front of you, meaning that they build their schedules, they bid uh, their lines, and they're not going to be on reserve as long as you are. But then again, you're going to be building pilot command time, which is really important for you moving forward in your career. So that's the most important to think about. Boy, I tell you, I really appreciate the questions. I hope uh, this explanation here of uh, you know what happens when I get reassigned as a pilot and some of these other questions have helped you. But most importantly, uh, make sure you look at the links. Make sure you go out to the website, check out some of the uh, things that we're doing over at uh, Sun and Fun because they talk a little bit about careers. A lot of times for the younger folks, but uh, some of the general things that we talk about, careers there uh, on, on the Sun and Fun radio, which we're going to talk a lot about during the year. That will apply to you. But I want you to do something. I want you to do for me this. I want you, like when you get done with this podcast, 
Don't just do nothing. I want you to do something. Do something today to move forward in your career by just listening to another show, going out and reading something, clicking on some of the links that I have in here. Maybe even it's just thinking about what you're going to do next. Write down on a piece of paper where you want to go, what you want to do. But I want you to do something. Take action. Do something now. Do something today to move forward in your career. Well, folks, I appreciate your listening. Talk to you next episode. Stay flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.